Okay, Luke chapter 6 again in your Bibles this morning. Luke chapter number 6. Luke chapter 6, find your way over to verse number 38. We're working through the commands of Christ on Sunday morning. And uh, some of these we'll end up covering on Sunday evening. And there's just so many of them. Can't get them all in, in on Sunday mornings in one year. Jesus had a whole lot to say the three and a half years he walked the earth. And a whole lot of truths for us. And if we live by these truths, we'll get to abide in his love. So Luke chapter 6, verse number 38. Once you have found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Let's read it together. Ready? Here we go. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together. And running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Well, we've looked at verse 36 where Jesus said to be merciful. Last week we looked at verse 37 that says judge not. And today we look at verse 38 and this command of Christ about our character is this. Give and it shall be given unto you. Or a secondary title could have been freely give. Freely give. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you how that we can walk through it verse by verse, word by word, and be challenged and we can grow. Thank you that you always have our betterment in mind. Lord, help us to live in line with the Bible. And God, bless our lives accordingly. Thank you for each person that made an effort to be here this morning. Lord, everyone is carrying their own struggles and uh, their own heartaches. Lord, uh, and we pray that you would just uh, encourage each heart. May we leave here today spiritually fed and spiritually charged to go forth and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever heard someone say, there are two groups of people in the world? That seems to be a common um, uh, way people like to classify. And so, two distinct groups. There's a lot of ways you can slice and dice the human uh, population into two groups. There are men and women. There's, that's not a debate here at White Oak Baptist Church, correct? There are men and there are women. Is that a settled, we're, we're okay with that here? Uh, men and women. There are rich and poor. All right, the Bible divides up uh, the, the, the human race into Jews and Gentiles. All right, you're either a Jew or you're a non-Jew, which would make you a Gentile. Uh, there are, let's see, extroverts. And introverts, let's do this. If you are an extrovert, raise your hand. Extroverts have no problem raising. All right, okay. Look at me, look at me, right? Okay, okay. Now this one's going to be a little bit tougher, all right? got to push yourself a little bit. If you're an introvert, raise your hand. Okay, you can do it. Get it up there. All right, don't look at me. I'm an introvert. Um, there are... Uh, those who are task-oriented, they just they, they don't want to talk to people. They want to be busy doing tasks. And there are, uh, there are folks who are people-oriented. In my house, I have one child who is task-oriented, and I have another child who is people-oriented. And so um, I had a discussion with my kids about this last night, and I'm pushing one of them to be more involved in talking to people 
And then the uh, other child, I've got to push that child into getting their homework done and doing their chores and getting uh, and, and, and getting the task at hand completed. And uh, folks are either task-oriented or people-oriented. It's natural for the human mind to want to categorize people or things into neat little mental spaces. Here's another way to divide people, all right? There are givers and there are takers. There are givers and there are takers. Now, when, what I mean is that almost no one uh, gives 50% of the time and takes 50% of the time. Everyone does giving and taking. It is not possible to live a life of only giving and not taking and only taking and not giving. We all do both, but no, I don't know that I've ever met anyone who just gives 50% and takes 50%. You either give more than you take in life or you take more than you give in life. And so if you're more of a giver than a taker, you are a giver. If you're more of a taker than a giver, then you are a taker. Now, to be fair, the world cannot operate without both being present. If everyone was a giver and no one was a taker, then it would be impossible to give anything. Right? Does that make sense? And if everyone was a taker and no one was a giver, then it would be impossible to take anything because there would be no one to give it. And by the way, a country thrives when you have a country full of people who are more busy with giving than taking. You understand that? The problem with socialism is that people end up taking and not giving. Right? How many of you are from another country and have seen this happen? You know what I'm talking about? All right, some hands going up there from a country where that happens. More takers than givers. All of a sudden, there's not enough to go around. All right, I'm not trying to get political up here. I'm just trying to make an obvious statement. All right, if more people take than give, eventually there's not enough to take. We okay? Everybody all right? I didn't run anybody off. I didn't offend. You're all looking at me like I'm crazy. Okay? Um, which one is better? Giving or taking? All right. There's what the Bible says, but then there's the reality of how you and I live. Let me ask it to you this way. Which one is better, getting a million dollars or giving a million dollars? Oh, that question got a lot harder, didn't it? Oh. Oh. You know what? If you're giving a million dollars, you probably have a lot more than a million dollars. Right? Now how many think it's better to give a million dollars, right? Uh, getting or giving. So the Pareto principle says that 80% of the doing comes from 20% of the people. The Pareto principle. This is something that's not just taught by a pastor in a church on a sermon about giving. Uh, most organizations of any size with any clear direction teach the Pareto principle. All right, 80% of, and by the way, if you stop and think about, uh, think about it, 80% of the work at your workplace gets done usually in 20% of the time. And we, we, we push hard and then we have a brain lapse or we work slower. And then as we approach a deadline, we push hard and we get things done. But how does this apply to an institution like a church? 80% of the financial contributions come from 20% of the people in any given church. Is that the case here? 
According to uh, broad numbers that I have seen provided to me by our treasurer with no names attached to any of it, that is very, very true that 80% of the giving of our church is done by 20% of the people. Now, how about uh, this thought? 80% of the serving comes from 20% of the church members. Largely, I have found this to be true in almost every church I've been a part of. You have 20% of the people who work hard. I mean, they go to work Monday through Friday, and then they show up Saturday and Sunday at the church, and they go, 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 and 20% of the church is bearing about 80% of the workload. Yet we say it is more blessed to give than receive, but we come to church and we receive more than we give. Luke 6.38, Jesus commands us to give. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down. And shaken together and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Now, after giving his disciples the power to heal and cast out devils, he commanded them to go and give. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 verse 8, Jesus said, heal the sick. Tells his disciples, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received. Those last two words are freely Give. You got it free. You should give it free. Right? It came in. It should go out. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 42. Matthew chapter 5. And verse number 42. Let's read that together. Ready? Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow thee, turn not thou away. So Luke 6, Jesus commands us to give. Matthew 10, he commands us to freely give. Matthew 5, 42, he says to give. Giving to the needs of others is not something that a disciple occasionally does. But rather, this is a lifestyle. This is a lifestyle. To give is a lifestyle. When I was a kid, I was at a missions conference at my home church in Mississippi. And we had a man who was a missionary to Ireland. I think he was probably Irish just based on his accent and his red hair, right? I think he was probably Irish, but... He was a missionary to Ireland. He was at our missions conference. And a man at our church uh, at a Saturday morning soul winning meeting we had, he came in a day early, and uh, said to him, he said, man, I really like your tie. The guy took off his tie and just gave it to him. And he's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean I want it. He, no, I, 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 that wasn't what I... No, you can have it. I watched that Irish missionary all week on any little compliment... I'm, I'm just thinking, man, I sure hope no one compliments this guy's pants. <laughs> right? I mean, where, where's this going, right? And uh, look, I, I'm all for giving the shirt off your back, but, but, but you need to wear something, all right? And so, um, but uh, give, and it shall be given unto you. Someone asks, you give it. Now, uh, Jesus said that men would give back into your bosom, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Years ago, when uh, YouTube, YouTube first came out, you know, YouTube is a place for people to do really, really dumb things and get lots of money for it. And we call those viral videos. I saw a video where, uh, and you've probably seen the same video, where this person took a pack 
of Mentos mints and had a bottle of Diet Coke, a two-liter bottle of Diet Coke. How many saw this? And they shoved the mints quickly into the two-liter bottle and twisted the lid back on. And that creates a chemical reaction that it will explode. I guess it's the uh, sugar substitute that mixes with the mint that just... And the guy took it and he shook it up and he slammed it on the ground. And that thing took off like a rocket and shot out of the little basketball park. And I mean, probably went 200 yards and soda's just going everywhere. And uh, when I think about Luke 6.38, give and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaking together, running over. I think of that explosion that you, you give and God gives back in such a, a way that it's shaken together. It's pressed down and then it just comes running all over the place. When you give of yourself and your resources to God and your fellow man, the blessings of God come running out all over you. And I just have to say, there is no better way to live than the blessings of God just being dumped all over you. Now, let me give you an example from Financial Peace University. All right, We we teach the Financial Peace University uh, class here at our church. And so this is a free promo for that class. Boy, I really encourage you to sign up and go through it. Uh, Dave Ramsey's mantra is live like no one else so that you can give like no one else. You limit your spending and you're in charge of your money and control of your money and you have it structured in such a way that you get to a point in life where you have enough money where you can just begin to give it away and be a blessing to people. In his material, he says this, he says, Thanksgiving morning, as you're on your way to your parents' house to eat turkey, uh, find a little diner that's open and back into a parking spot where from the driver's seat you can look in and see what's going on in the diner. And then go in and leave your family in the car. You're only going to be in there in a minute. Go in and sit there at the little bar area and order yourself a cup of coffee. And um, you're not going to be there long. You just take a few sips of the coffee and ask for your check. You get the check and um, you, you, you you pay for the coffee And then you leave two $100 bills as a tip. Then you walk out the door, you hustle out to your car, and you just sit there and wait for that server to come and pick up that tip. And he said, I imagine that if you're working at a diner on Thanksgiving morning, you're probably not in a very good place in life. And so imagine that this server is a single mom in her 30s, just struggling to pay the bills and get by. And she comes over and she sees that money there and, and she, she looks at it. And then she picks it up and she looks around to see if you're still there. And then she holds it up to the light to see if it's real. <laughs> and then you see her clasp it to her heart. And she just looks up to heaven. And a tear starts to run down her cheek. And then she starts to do a little happy dance. She starts running around in circles. You know what you just did for her? You just paid for Christmas for her kids. And she didn't know how she was going to make that happen. And what a great way to live your life. Give and it shall be 
given to you, pressed down, shaken together. Many of us are miserly with our uh, energy and our talents and our abilities and our time and our money. And we walk through life with our fists closed and no one's going to take my time and no one's going to take my money and no one's going to take my talents. And we walk around like this and you're right, no one's going to take it. But guess what? If your fist is closed, not only is nothing going to leave, nothing else is going to get in there. I'd rather live my life with it leaving and coming and leaving and coming because I have found out this beautiful truth that I've been taught my whole life. I have found it to be true. You cannot outgive God. You just can't do it. He owns the wealth of the universe. He owns the health of the universe. He owns the strength and the time. And He can replace whatever it is that you give away. Christ has commanded us to do far more than just taking. But as you live a lifestyle giving to others, God has a way of giving back to you in great abundance. Let's look at just a few thoughts this morning about Christ's command to freely give. As we consider this title, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Number one, point number one, the Christian's responsibility. The Christian's responsibility. Letter A, we give by financially supporting. Turn over to Exodus chapter 25 in your Bibles. Exodus chapter number 25. Israel is um, walking through the wilderness in this part of the Bible. They've left Egypt where they were in slavery. They're marching toward their promised land. And God is giving to Moses both the moral laws and the civil laws by which they will operate. And he's giving them their religious laws, how their religion is to be structured and function. And they're going to build a tabernacle. They need great wealth to be able to do this because they want to make this tent that will be their place of worship, they want to make it gaudy. They want to make it ostentatious. They want to make it beautiful. And so they need the people to take of the wealth that was given to them as they were leaving Egypt and give it to the building of the tabernacle. Look at Exodus 25 and look at verse 2. It says, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Look at this next phrase. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. With his heart ye shall take my offering. Look at that again. Of every man that giveth it, what's that next word? Willingly. With his what? Heart. Now, it seems like every time I preach about money, somebody gets offended and somebody complains. Every time. Now, they don't complain to me. But they complain to people who come tell me about the complaining. Um... And they don't ever tell me who's complaining. They just told me that somebody complained. So I, I've not been given a name. And so if it was you, I promise you, I don't know. It was you that was complaining. But let me just try to curb the complaining right here, okay? Can I tell you who doesn't get offended when I preach about money? The people who regularly give do not complain about me. You know why? Because they're part of the 20% that is doing their best to carry you through. And they want a larger group of people so they don't feel as much pressure to give. 
They don't have as much pressure to, you know, there's some people who think, man, if I were to quit giving my portion of the church, I, I don't, I mean, I know God can provide. I don't really know how the bills would get paid. You know, those people don't complain when I preach about money because they want you to come along their side and help them. Do you know who does complain when I preach about money? The people who aren't giving anything. Or the people who are only giving a little bit. Well, I threw a $20 in the plate three months ago. You know? I, I tithe once a year. You know? Um, what is the purpose of the church? Now, this is a little sidebar in the sermon. And I, I put this in here intentionally. Um, the church has, from what I can find in the Bible, the church has three purposes. All right? Here they are. Teach truth. Teach truth. The Bible is to be rightly divided at church. All right? That's why on Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings we go verse by verse through the Bible. Because we're trying to rightly divide the word of truth. Sunday morning when I preach, I chuck every sermon I preach with lots of Bible. Because the Bible is truth. And so the church is to teach truth. Truth. The second purpose of the church is to build up believers. To build up believers. You're a believer. You love the Lord. You should come to church and you should leave here with your spiritual tank full. And you should be able to go out in the world and love Jesus with more fervor and passion. And be excited because spiritually you're growing and, and you've been challenged. And you take the challenge and you accept the challenge. And you go forth and you do your best to love God. And you do your best to put him first. And you do your best to live by the Judeo-Christian ethics of the word of God. So to teach truth, to build up believers, and the third purpose is to salvage sinners. To salvage sinners. Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know what? It isn't hell that's attacking the church. It's church that's to be attacking the gates of hell. It's church that should be set up pulling people away who would be on their way to hell and helping salvage them and get them to heaven. And you know what? To teach truth and build up believers and to salvage sinners and to do that effectively, uh, we must do our best to give financially to the work of the Lord. Turn over to Luke chapter 19 in your Bibles. Luke 19 and look with me at verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse 10. As Jesus Christ changed lives, not only did people's attitudes change, but their financial priorities also changed. Look at Luke chapter 19. We find a familiar story, especially if you grew up going to Sunday school. Look at verse number 1. And the Bible says, I'll begin reading. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and because there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. He had lots of money. You know what he didn't have? He didn't have friends. Because if you're a publican, you were running around taking everybody's money, and you were viewed as a traitor to your people. You were working for the Romans to collect taxes from your own people. That did not make you popular. And the Romans let you be corrupt and take more than was necessary so that you could give to Rome their portion and you could just stockpile people's money. And so uh, he had money. He did not have social acceptance. Verse 3, and he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. So he's a short guy. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came... To the place, he looked up and saw him, and Jesus said unto him, Zacchaeus, 
Make haste and come down, for today I must abide at your house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Can you picture this? Zacchaeus, uh, Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' town, and there's this big crowd that's gathered around Jesus, and Zacchaeus is this short little guy, and he cannot get in. Not only does he not, not only is he uh, little and can't get in because he's little, he also can't get in because people don't like him. And this is a chance for them to just accidentally, on purpose, elbow him in the mouth. So Zacchaeus, instead of wiggling through the crowd, he sees that Jesus is walking down a path, and he sees there's a sycamore tree, and so Zacchaeus goes up in the tree and he waits for Jesus to come by and here comes Jesus walking by with all these people around and Jesus stops and he looks up in the tree and he says Zacchaeus, as the song says you come down for I'm going to your house today for I'm going to if you didn't grow up in Sunday school you don't know the song isn't it? for I'm going to your house today and Zacchaeus comes down and everyone's like what? you're hanging out with him? we don't like him Look what happened to Zacchaeus when he received Jesus. Verse 7, And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner, as if they're not. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Look how his financial priorities changed when he met Jesus. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said to him, this day is salvation come to his house for so much as he is a son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When Zacchaeus got saved, um, it changed the way he viewed his money. He gave half of his wealth to the poor. Letter A, we, we give by financially supporting. Letter B, we give by physically serving. We give by physically serving. Giving is not just the action of dropping some money in the offering plate at church. Giving is a heart choice to offer your entire being by the cause, uh, for the cause of Christ. Let me ask you a question, church. If Christianity has a symbol, what is that symbol? Hint, hints behind my head. The cross. What is the cross? It's two rugged pieces of timber nailed together for the purpose of torture. For the purpose of human sacrifice. It's not just this pretty thing we hang around our necklaces, ladies. I have no problem with a lady wearing a gold necklace that, that has a cross. That's fine. It's not just something we use to decorate the walls of our home. It's not just something that we use to tell people that we're followers of Christ. It's a symbol that's supposed to represent a life of sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, Paul told the church at Rome, he said, I beg you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies, listen, a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your 
reasonable service. If your life is filled with comfort in every way, then you're not bearing a cross. If you buck at discomfort because of being a Christian, then you're not bearing your cross. We'll look at this verse a little bit later in the year, but Jesus said, if any man should be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. God is not asking you to be beaten with a whip and to be nailed to a piece of wood and hung up in front of everyone to be a dying sacrifice. The question this morning is not, are you willing to die for Christ? The question is, are you willing to live for Christ? Are you willing each day to get up and be a living sacrifice? Paul says it's your reasonable service. Let me just get right down where we live, okay? If you have children in the nursery, but you won't serve in the nursery, then you're being a taker and you're not being a giver. If you sit on the pew and enjoy the sermons that are preached every week and the program that our church offers, but you're not contributing in some way, in some way by either serving or giving or both, then you are a taker here and you are not a giver. White Oak Baptist Church has the responsibility of getting the gospel to the 350,000 people that live within a 20-minute drive of this church. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface of that mission. And I'm going to tell you right now, uh, uh, us making that happen is not about who the pastor is or who the deacons are. Uh, It's not about who holds a title. It's about each person who attends this church saying, I will step up and I will do my part and I will tell the world about Jesus and I will model my faith and I will suffer for the cause of Christ and I will be a living sacrifice and when we all get in and we physically serve together we've got 350,000 people to serve in this community oh there's plenty of people to take we need more people who will step up and physically serve so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can be heard by the community I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ can change anyone's life it isn't that people won't Listen, it's that people can't listen because there's not enough folks sharing. Let me give you a quote I'd like for you to write down. I don't believe it's going to be on the screen. I did not ask, uh, uh, ask for this to be up there. Let me give you a quote. I'll read it a few times. Right quick. Here it is. Giving is not so much a character issue as it is a lordship issue. Giving is not so much a character issue as it is a lordship issue. A lordship issue. Whoever or whatever controls your life is your Lord and Master. Giving is not so much a character issue as it is a lordship issue. Whoever or whatever controls your life is your Lord and Master. Well, if I had more character, maybe I'd give more. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not about your character. It's about who's the Lord of your life. Let me get practical. Do you control your schedule? Or does your schedule control you? You see, the, the clock was invented 
thousands of years ago to be able to serve us by telling us time. But you know, most of us are slaves to the clock. The clock is not a slave to us. We are a slave to following a schedule. I love island life. My sister is a missionary in Fiji, her and her husband. And, uh, you know, over there, they don't ask what time it is very often because they don't care what time it is very often, right? Quesara, sara, what will be, will be. And uh, they just, oh, whatever, you know. Um, are you a slave to your schedule? Now, do you control your passions or do your passions control you? Well, I can quit watching that anytime I want. Okay, then quit. I can quit talking that way anytime I want. Okay, then stop. I can quit smoking that anytime I want. Okay, well, then stop. I can quit drinking that coffee or that beverage anytime I want. Okay, well, then let's stop drinking coffee for a week and see how we do. It's funny. Um, when it gets really cold outside, the pipes on that back wall where that coffee pot freeze. And I think twice last winter we didn't have coffee because we just couldn't, couldn't get it to happen. Man, I thought people were going to lose their minds. What? And you didn't let us know on Facebook ahead of time so we could stop and get something? How irresponsible of you, Pastor. I'd just like to see you squirm a little bit. I want to know who stays awake in church because they care and who stays awake in church because they're wired. Right? Do you control your passions or do your passions control you? Do you control your wallet or does your love of money control you? The only way to be in control of these things is to give that control over to the God of heaven and allow him to lead and guide how you steward the time and your passions and the money that he has entrusted to you to steward. The Christian's responsibility. Number two, we see the Bible's regulations. The Bible's regulations. Did you know that you can give the wrong way? Did you know that you can give with the wrong motives? Did you know that you can give in such a way that does not even please God at all? The Bible lays out the rules and regulations so that we get, when we give, we do it as to the Lord and not unto man. We give as to the Lord and not unto man. Let me give you some subpoints here. Letter A, notice, give proportionately. Give proportionately. Let me rattle off some Bible verses for you here. And um, if you want to turn to Acts or 2 Corinthians, you see the verse on the screen, go ahead. Let me, let me, let me rattle off a couple of verses here. Deuteronomy 16, 17 says, Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord thy God, which he hath given thee. So as God has blessed you, you give proportionately to that blessing. Acts 11, uh, 29 says, Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea. So you had these people who lived in impoverished parts of Macedonia, modern-day Turkey, and they didn't have a lot of money. They were very poor, but they gave according as they had ability. They looked at what they had, they scrounged together a little bit, and they gave that toward a large 
offering to help the Jews who were suffering in the Christian church in Jerusalem. Same concept, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. For if there be first a willing mind, a willing mind, it is accepted and according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. What am I getting at? If you say, Pastor Lejeune, boy, I want to give, and uh, on March 19th when we collect this offering for the betterment of the church property, I'm going to take one of those commitment cards, and I faith is big. I'm going to write on there that I'm going to give a million dollars, and I'm going to drop that in the plate. Listen, if you make $500 a week, don't put you're going to give a million dollars. You have to give according to how God is blessing you. You have to give, you say, well, Pastor Lejeune, are you telling me to have less faith? I'm telling you to be realistic. I'm telling you to walk by faith and not by sight. I do believe God can move mountains with our faith. But listen, what God wants is for us to be faithful in giving what we already have before he blesses us with more to give. Give proportionately. And uh, the Bible model in Malachi 3 is that we give 10% of our income uh, to the Lord, and that's our tithe, and then our alms or our offerings Come above and beyond that. So um, uh, we are to give proportionately. Now, um, I really believe that a big part of the reason why we don't give of our service or of our uh, time or of our resources is not because we don't have, but rather because we very poorly manage what is at our fingertips. We waste our time. We waste our energy. Um, I get a report every Sunday. I'm an iPhone user. I get a report every Sunday morning that makes me feel very guilty right before I get up to preach. It's how much time I was, my screen was on daily. How many get that report? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. It's like, uh, anytime it's down, I'm like, oh, I feel good about that. Right. And then I get a report up 42% over last week. What? What happened? I didn't even know it was. Um, so, uh, listen, uh, we waste our energy. If you ever go into your, whether you have an Android or an iPhone, I believe both do this, but you can go in and look at which apps are used in proportion and, um, and, and how much battery they consume, how many, how many minutes or hours that are on each day. And what if we spend as much time in the Bible as we did on social media? What if we spend as much time in prayer as we do playing Candy Crush or games like that? You know, I really don't think it's that we don't have time or energy. I think it's that we waste so many of our resources. And then the pastor says, we need help with this at church. And, well, I don't have the time. I don't have the, the, the mental strength. I don't have the energy. I remember uh, back in uh, the housing crisis during 2008 uh, when uh, homes were being foreclosed on and, and all that. I remember turning on the TV on a Saturday morning and seeing Penn State's football stadium with 120,000 people crammed in there to watch a football game and then turning over to another news channel and hearing that we were in a recession. Boy, we have money to spend $5 on a hot dog and $8 on a beer as a country, but we're in a recession. And I'm not picking on people who lost their homes. Listen, the recession was a real thing that affected a lot of people. I'm making a larger point that oftentimes it isn't that we don't have money. It's that we're wasting our money on things that just don't matter. We charged $200 for a marriage conference. And I didn't hear too much complaining about the price, and I'm grateful for that. But when we were talking about setting the price at $200... 
at a staff meeting and we're discussing, and, and I had said I think it needs to be at 200, and there was some pushback a little bit, uh, just mental thought process. And, and I said, look, the reality is with the cost of meat and eggs right now, if you go to Longhorn with a family of four and then go to TJ Maxx and buy a new pair of shoes, you've dropped $200 just like that, right? I think we can afford $200 toward investing in our marriage. Again, it's not that we don't have, it's that we waste and we waste and we waste. Here's another quote you might want to scribble down. If you have anything in your home whose sole purpose is to collect dust, you have more than 80% of people in the world. If you have anything in your home whose sole purpose is to collect dust, you have more than 80% of the people in the world. Collect your coins, collect your cars, collect your anything. just sits there and collects the dust. You, you take it out, look at it two, three, four times a year, and then it just sits and it collects dust. If God moved in your heart to sell that collector's item and give it toward a building fund or to a missionary, I mean, if not if the pastor wrenched your arm in to do it, but if God moved in your heart, would you do it? If God were to tug on your heartstrings and say, that $20 that you have in your pocket to go watch a movie this week, I want you to give that to a single mom who's struggling to help her buy, to put groceries on the table for her family. Would you, would you give it or would you go watch your movie? Does God, God does not expect you to give that which you do not have. But once we become good stewards of what we do have, then we give proportionately. Letter B, give humbly. Give humbly. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. And preachers always talking about money. I'm just preaching through the commands of Christ one at a time, very methodically. Amen, Brother Nino? One at a time. We're covering I, I'm Listen, I put the same effort into every sermon. All right? There's that complaining. Don't complain. You're just going to tell on yourself. All right? Matthew 6, verse 3. Let's read that together. Ready? But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. You know what that means? That means that when you give an offering, that ought to be very private. That ought to be very private. It ought to be so private that nobody knows that you gave that offering to the Lord. The Pharisees were known for their braggadocious and not-so-subtle giving. I've talked about my Velcro wallet that I had when I was a kid, right? And I'd pull that thing out in church. It was a, I think it had like a, a camouflage, like army camouflage pattern on it. I'd pull that thing out in church and <laughs> reach in there and grab a handful of dollar bills. There'd be a little zip pocket with coins and I'm dropping the coins. I'm like, you know, five years old. I'm dropping the coins in the plate. And, and I got offended because all these old ladies are laughing at me. And I'm like, well, you put money in the plate. No one laughs at you. Why are you laughing at me? And I, I get later. I guess I, they thought I was cute or something. But um, I, 
Some people, that's how they give. They just let it slip. They gave money to this or that. Or I give this much to missions. I give this much to benevolence. I give this much to the buses. And how would that church get along if it what? Listen, give humbly. Give humbly. By the way, God does not need any one of us to get the bills paid around here. We've had big givers come and go over the 42 years this church has been here. And you know what? The bills always get paid. And God always provides. And God can move in anyone's heart and start coming to church here who has money and help us. You think, well, you know, if it wasn't for me, there wouldn't be this, that, or the other. Listen, give humbly. Give humbly. Letter C, give freely. Give freely. You're in Matthew 6. Turn over to Matthew 10. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says Jesus here is speaking to the disciples whom he had just given power over uh, infirmities and, de- and demons or devils. He says, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Now, our Pentecostal friends, that's the part of the verse they want to emphasize. All right. I'm going to go cast out devils and heal the sick. Um, th- those were uh, gifts given to the apostles and to be an apostle, you had to be uh, physically see the, the, the Christ. No one here has physically seen the Christ. And so no one here has these powers, okay? But look at the rest of the verse, and look here. It says, freely ye have received, freely give. I work hard for my money. Okay, that's great. I mean it. That's great. I work hard for my money, too. Who gave you the energy to go earn that money? Who gave you the health to go earn that money? Who gave you the personality to go earn that money? Who gave you the um, emotional well-being to hold down that job? Who gave you the temperament you have to put up with a cranky boss? God did. God did. Freely ye have received. Freely give. Hey, you give and God gives back to you. Give freely. Letter A, we see give proportionately. Letter B, give freely. Letter C, uh, uh, letter, letter B, give humbly. Letter C, give freely. Turn over to Matthew 19. Some of you, this sermon might make you a little uncomfortable. Well, then you're in the company of a, a very rich man in the Bible. There was a rich man in the Bible who was extremely moral and came to Jesus looking to be his disciple But one thing kept him from joining Jesus' team. Look at Matthew 19, look at verse 21. Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Again, he could not let Christ be his Lord, Because his money and possessions were his Lord. He could not be a part of Team Jesus because he was on Team Money. Give freely. Letter D, give with simplicity. Give with simplicity. Turn over to Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Paul said, 
Paul said in Romans 12, he said, Or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And then we see Jesus complimenting a woman who gave with simplicity. Look at Luke 21 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says, And he looketh up and saw the rich man casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in under the offering of God. But she of her poverty, she of her penury, hath cast in all the living that she had. Jesus is standing outside of a synagogue, and these folks are coming up, and these rich men, these rich Pharisees are reaching in and throwing in lots of money into the treasury. And I imagine as they do it, they're making a show. Just as the Bible describes the Pharisees, everything they did was a show. And they would fast, but walk around, oh, I'm fasting, oh, I'm, I'm hungry, oh, I'm... And they'd pray, and they'd stand up, and they'd make a big scene of how flowery and, and elegant their prayers were. When they give, I imagine they gave the same way. Look at these hundred dollar bills that I'm putting in the offering plate. And then this little woman who had nothing, nothing. She walks up and humbly, maybe even with a covering down over her head, hunched over, reaches into her little bag, her humble little bag, and takes out two mites, that would be less than a penny, and drops that in the treasury and walks away. And Jesus, being God and knowing everything, he said to the crowd, he says, she gave more than them. Because they gave of their abundance, she gave from her poverty. She didn't have anything, and she gave it all. She gave it all. You say, Pastor Lejeune, I, I want to give. My heart's there. I just don't have right now. Money is tight. God is not looking for you to be the biggest uh, giver of a volume here. He's looking for you to give by faith and out of a heart of love. Maybe you can only put in $5. Maybe you can only serve a little bit because you have a health problem. Maybe you can only encourage others uh, on a small scale by uh, serving in some area of ministry. It's not how much. It's the simplicity by which you give. It's the heart of love and faith by which you do it. Give with simplicity. Letter E, give regularly. Give regularly. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. In verse number 2. 1 Corinthians 16. Look at, look at verse 2. Let's read that together. Ready? Here we go. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So you're to take what you have and lay it in store so that when you go to church on the first day of the week, and by the way, that would be Sunday, all right? That's why we go to church on Sunday and not Saturday because Paul told the church of Corinth that you go to church on the day of the resurrection of Christ. That would be Sunday. And so we go to church on Sunday and we give that which we have to the Lord. So notice that uh, we gather on Sunday for the purpose of giving 
according to how God hath prospered us. And again, I want to be uh, clear here. We think in terms of money because that's just how we function. That's our MO. I'm not just talking about giving money on Sunday. I'm talking about giving of your spiritual gifts. I'm talking about giving your time. I'm talking about making a sacrifice with your energy. I'm talking about coming here with the purpose of serving the Lord. Uh, Again, financially supporting and physically serving. That's how we are to be involved. We're to give regularly. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all thine increase. Letter F. Give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. You hear about the uh, dad who had, uh, it was just a disciplinarian in his home and he had kids who just, uh, their morality was just in the floor and he had been so hard on them that they didn't, uh, there was just no happiness and joy. And someone said to the man, he said, what are you going to do to boost them around your home? He said, beatings will commence until morale improves. Beatings will commence until morale improves. That's not always the best way to go about it, is it? I'm going to keep beating you till you start smiling, all right? Um, if you're not a giver here, this has been a tough sermon to sit through. I know that. I understand that. I've been stepping and stomping all over your toes if you're a taker, not a giver. And you're probably ready for me to sit down and shut up. Um, One of the things I remind my children of is that they're going to go to school for quite a long time. Matthew has nine, if he goes all the way through college, Matthew has nine years of schooling left. April has ten years of schooling left. And look, most kids in the seventh, eighth, ninth grade, they don't like school, all right? I didn't like school at that age. You have some people who are like, oh, I love school. Okay, good. Get the tape off your glasses, all right? Um, but um, that's great. I'm glad that uh, there are the Irwins of this world who just love going to school and, and learning. But I wasn't one of those type. And one of the things I told my kids is I said, whether or not you like it, you got to do it. So you might as well like it. Are we, are we getting what I'm trying to get at here? Whether or not you like it, God has commanded you to give. So don't do it from our... Don't grit your teeth and bear it, right? Smile. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians. Well, let me read for you. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You ought to give with the love of God deep down inside. And you ought to give in a way that is cheerful, not forced. God would rather you give $5 by faith than give $500 by force. God would rather you give $5 with the love of Jesus in your heart than put $500 in the plate because you feel like the pastor preached a sermon that twisted your arm into giving. By the way, Pastor Lejeune would rather you give $5 by faith because if you'll give $5 by faith and you do that every week, And God's going to grow that faith, and you can give more and more. If you're forcing money into that plate, you're forcing yourself into area service, that spirit's just going to keep getting sideways, and you're going to quit. Number two, the Bible's regulations. Number one, the Christian's responsibility. Number three, lastly, notice the Christian's reward. The Christian's reward. Letter A, the Christian's reward of being God's conduit. God's conduit. Or God's channel. John 13 verse 34 says, a new, Jesus speaks here. He says, a new commandment I give unto you, 
that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. John fifteen nine continues, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So God in heaven looks down and he sees people that are hurting and suffering. He sees folks that are homeless and hungry. He sees people that are uh, battered by life. And maybe he sees people who have no love in their life and they're lonely. And he sees uh, that he's got Christians in Stratford that need, uh, uh, that have access to the love of God. And what God wants to do is he wants us to channel up and be a conduit by which his love flows down through us onto others. And when you put your arm around someone who's hurting and you tell them you're praying for them and you love them and you take a $20 bill and you give it through through the benevolence fund to help someone who's having a hardship or a hard time and that money comes their way to help them out of a tight spot to pay a bill or that note of encouragement comes their way to help them out of a dark, depressed moment. Guess what happens? God is channeling His love through you as His conduit and you you know what happens when the love of God flows you on, uh, flows through you on the others? You get to know the love of God in a very surreal way. Because you're the one through which God's love is flowing straight through. Luke 6 says, Shall men give into your bosoms? God gives to people through His own. God gives to others through you. Boy, sometimes I'll show up at a funeral home. And I'll put my arms around someone who's weeping and hurting. And I'll hold them for a minute. And you know what? It's not my love they feel. It's the love of God flowing through me and onto them. Boy, when you're selfish and you're a taker, uh, God's love cannot flow through you. It won't flow through you and you will not experience that love. Christian's reward of being God's conduit, letter B. The Christian's reward of being compassionate. Of being compassionate. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 says this, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. First Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. You are rewarded by heaven when you gain a heart that is kind and compassionate toward a people who are weak and feeble-minded. Um, I went into the Stratford Walmart with Matthew uh, just the other day, and uh, Walmart stories seem to make their way into my preaching regularly. But um, I, I walked in, and um, Matthew says to me as we're walking out, he says, there's a lady sitting there. Some of you may have seen her. There's a lady sitting there that looks like she's probably, um, you know, she's, she's probably homeless, and I don't know that uh, she has all her faculties. You're telling me her name is Cindy. And so she's sitting there, and Matthew says to me, he says, uh, Boy, it sure would be nice if we could do something for her. I said, you know what, Matthew, I'm glad you brought that up. I said, I'll tell you what, next time we're here, why don't we go buy a Subway gift card so she can go in and get something to eat right there? You say, well, what's she doing sitting there? I don't know, but I know this. God may want to use me to give to her. God may want to channel his love through me onto her, and God ought to give us a heart that's compassionate. When you look at people that are, that are uh, labeled by society as bad or hurting, and by the way, this fits into that judge not sermon last week. 
Do you condemn? Or do you say, oh God, use me to shine your compassion down on them? Letter C. The Christian's reward of being compensated. Look at, look at Luke. Let's go back where we started this morning. Luke 6, verse 38. The Bible says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. Look at the rest of the verse. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. Pastor Lejeune, are you preaching a health and wealth gospel? Not in the way the TV evangelists have done it for years. But here's what I do believe. If you'll give to others, you're going to be a prosperous person. If you're generous toward others, people are going to be very generous toward you. My dear friend and our missionary to Peru, Mark Rader. By the way, this is a missionary our church. He's part of our missions team. He's part of our White Oak family. He went home to be with his Savior this past Wednesday. As I previously shared, he was involved in a horrible car accident that took his life. Mark and Sarah Rader had given their lives for Christ and given their lives to serve others. Mark and Sarah were raising six children inside of a tiny apartment in a church building in a part of the world filled with poverty and political unrest. I remember when I went to Peru to preach for Mark, he put us up there in a little bedroom in that church building. And on the way from the airport to the church, he told me, he said, um, we're in a nicer part of Lima. I got there that night and, again, I'd been traveling all day. got there that night and stood there and looked out over the balcony. And I thought to myself, this is the nice part of Lima? This is not nice compared to where I live. Mark and Sarah were busy building a church. Mark in his spare time would hop out of the church and walk down to the bus stop. He'd get on public transit buses and he'd preach the gospel and pass out tracts. He took missions trips to the jungle of the Amazon in Peru uh, two, three, four of those every year. He hosted pastor's conference. He was running a Bible institute to train Peruvian men and women for church ministry. When I say that Mark and Sarah were devoted wholeheartedly all in on giving themselves to others, I mean they were all in. They had given up any semblance of realizing the comfortable American dream. I cannot imagine the pain and sorrow that his wife Sarah is experiencing right now. Two days after he passed, Sarah posted this to her Facebook page. She said, God gave me a word for this year. I never shared because I just couldn't see how. Mark and I were walking through some tough things. I shared with him that the word I had felt led to choose for this year, was the word abundantly. My world right now is shaking, but on Christ the solid rock I stand. I have been tempted so many times over the past month and a half to question my word. 
Mark told me several times at the beginning of this year that this was going to be the best year of our lives. That's something Mark would say. I tried to believe him, but I was relocating from my paradise in South America to the frozen tundra of Iowa. As I sat and tried to read the comments under my last heartbreaking post about Mark's death, God said, look, I have shown you my abundant mercy. I am showing you abundant grace. Look at the abundance of friends I've given. She went on and she said, Yesterday, standing at the end of Mark's bed in ICU, I saw a team who had worked with abundant effort to keep Mark with us. He collided with a semi and sustained several severe injuries. And while they were doing a CT scan, he coded. Nurses and doctors worked feverishly for hours doing CPR numerous times. He was unconscious and I hope and pray free of pain from the moment of impact. I picture him running into the arms of our abundantly loving and merciful Savior. Reunited with so many who have been promoted to glory. She said, I am sad beyond belief for my kids. Daddy was everyone's favorite. But I am happy for my best friend to be free, abundantly free. Hard times are guaranteed to come to all of us in life. There's no getting around that. All of us. When they do, only those who know God intimately will be compensated with an understanding of His abundant grace and mercy and comfort to carry them through these impossible times. Mark has been compensated with heaven. My friend has never been better than he is right now. His wife and his kids are going to need men and women to give into their bosoms, pressed down, shaking together, and running over. And that is already happening. When tough times come your way, and you have lived a selfish life, you're going to find yourself in a very dark and lonely place. But when you live your life giving to others and tragedy strikes, that's when the abundant mercy of God comes flowing all over you in a way that is just profound and divine. I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Are you more of a giver or a taker? God wants you to channel up to Him so that He can take His unlimited resources and pour them through you onto His ministry and His people. Look back at Luke 6, 38. Let's read it together one more time and then we'll pray and be done. Give. Ready? Everybody, hold on. I'll give you a minute to get there. Luke 6, 38. Let's read it. Ready? Here we go. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over. Shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. Lord, 
I pray this morning you would take this sermon and challenge us. This is really just a sermon about us not being selfish. Selfishness is at the heart of each of us because each of us are natural sinners. Our relationships struggle because we take instead of give. Our quality of life at work can struggle if we take instead of give. Lord, this church will struggle if it's filled with more takers than givers. Help us to be a people who give and give freely and give humbly and give abundantly. Lord, we're thankful that you are a God who sees our giving and gives right back to us. Oh, Lord, help us during this time of invitation to give our hearts in submission and obedience to you. Break us and show us in Jesus' name.